If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We put experiences into this micro amusement park that exists nowhere else in the world. We've created all these experiences that smash people together in unexpected ways. When you walk into 634 Mateo Street in downtown Los Angeles, you are going to experience an amusement park and a show at the same time. And they'll be unlike anything else you've ever seen, courtesy of 2-Bit Circus's new Micro Amusement Park, which opened in September 2018. With their Micro Amusement Park, the 2-Bit Circus team uses a constantly evolving palette of VR, XR, sensors, and robotics to reimagine the carnival experience. And at the very heart of it are interaction and education. Eric Badman is the CTO and co-founder of 2-Bit Circus. Eric, how'd you first realize the magic of combining art, technology, and play? You know, Brent and I, Brent Bushnell, my co-founder, and I have been building stuff together for, gosh, about, about 10 years ago. And when we first started building stuff together, we didn't know exactly what we wanted to build. and We played around in a number of different disciplines, from, from games to art to large-scale experiences to biomonitoring stuff. We just love building stuff. But after a while, as we started bringing our creations to events and showing them off in front of people, putting our creations in front of people and watching them play, even our early art pieces got turned into games by the audiences of the events that we were attending. And it just inspired us both to create fun stuff and never stop creating fun stuff. There's just an incredible feeling when you bring your creations in front of other people and see them smiling and laughing and having a good time. Which, of course, I've seen quite a lot because I've had the pleasure of seeing your steam carnivals. How did Micro Amusement Park evolve from those? So we ran several steam carnivals. We ran one in Los Angeles, one in San Francisco, and they were a great success. And... uh, what we, what we discovered over time is that steam carnivals were difficult to put on. They were time-consuming. They were expensive. And the biggest disappointment was that we would spend weeks, months getting these things ready, a whole week setting the venue up, and then we would be open to the public for three days. And it was the biggest letdown. And we'd get back to our shop, and we'd be exhausted, and it would take us forever to get the motivation to do the next one. What we really wanted was a place that could stay open every day of the week, a place where people could come to us rather than us coming to them. And that's when we decided to transition the Steam Carnival over to our 2-Bit Circus Foundation, which continues to run Steam Carnivals all around the world. We've moved on to focusing on adults and families in our permanent facilities. And you have your extraordinarily cool micro amusement park. Would you take me back in your imagination to opening that? What was that like for you? Opening up this micro amusement park was both an incredible amount of work and incredibly satisfying. Planning and architecture and sort of pre-visualization began, gosh, a year and a half, two years before we ever opened the doors. And so for the longest time, this place was just a dream. It took us so much time to develop the experiences. You know, we put experiences into this micro amusement park that exists nowhere else in the world. We did a lot of our own custom development, so this place would really stand out. So it would be different from any place you could experience anywhere in the world. And for all that work to finally kind of come to fruition when we opened the doors on this place, 
We had a great launch party. We had a ribbon cutting. We had the mayor of Los Angeles. We had Bill Nye, the science guy. We all knocked down bricks. And that moment when we sort of opened the doors to the public, people streamed in and had a good time. That was such an awesome feeling. Let's look together at at least one of the experiences you have that we could find nowhere else. I know what my favorite was, but I'm going to ask you to choose a favorite child here. Oh, no, I want to hear what your favorite is. Minotaur maze by a mile. You like the Minotaur maze? I'd probably love your escape room so I could have gotten through the lines to see them. (laughs) Awesome. What's your favorite? Well, let me tell you about another experience in that area of the building. One thing that I love to build is what we call story rooms. We have a story room here called Space Squad in Space. Now, a story room is a little bit like an escape room, insofar as a group of people get put into a room for a fixed amount of time. But the goal here isn't to try and escape from the room as quickly as possible. The goal here is to be the best spaceship pilot you can be. And so you and your group of friends find yourself physically on the bridge of the Space Squad Endeavor. And around you, are working bridge consoles, lots of screens, lots of buttons, some of which you recognize, some of which you don't. And we assume that most people have never actually piloted a starship before. So the first couple minutes of this experience is just getting you comfortable with the ideas of liftoff and piloting and using your weapons and and things like that. And then this 20, maybe 30 minute long experience is going to take you around the galaxy, solving different missions and working together as a team. And It's a little bit more like being in an episode of a TV show than being in a horror movie. I associate traditional escape rooms with, you know, being in one scene of a horror movie, whereas whereas a story room is meant to give you the sort of dramatic arcs that you might expect from a TV show. But Eric says, Two-Bit Circus's micro-amusement park is about more than entertainment. You know, it's important to note that this isn't just a place where you come to play. It's a place where you come to eat and drink And it's almost like a whole new form of community center. We want people to to spend a long time here, have a good time, come out for dinner, come out to meet people. It's not just about the games. It's also about the community. And that had very much that feel when I was there. Do you still have upstairs where people can kind of sit there and look at what's going on downstairs, maybe play a board game and visit? We do. We have the upstairs deck. There are still some classic games up there if you need a little moment away from the buzz downstairs. And that's always an option. Most entertainment is passive. Most amusement parks are passive. This is anything but. What are some of your favorite ways of being interactive? Entertainment should never be passive. People love to meet new people. People love to get out of, out of their houses and move their bodies and be with their friends. I think of this place as, I think of Two-Bit Circus's highest and greatest goal as creating what I call micro-friendships, right? We've created all these experiences that smash people together in unexpected ways. You may find yourself standing at a high-tech midway game, playing alongside people you don't know. You may find yourself in our interactive theater, Club Zero One, sitting next to people and, and, and laughing along with people you've never met before. And the entertainment that we've created, it all serves a very important purpose of just getting people relaxed, loosened up, and so they can talk to and meet those new people. And if you create a little micro-friendship, yeah, that micro-friendship might take you to the next game. You might have gained a new friend for five minutes. You play a game together. It might take you to the bar together. Now you're hanging out. You may hang out the rest of the night. It may be a friendship that lasts a lifetime. So the goal of all of this entertainment is to get people just, just relaxed and loosened up and in a mood to meet others and have a good time together. With everybody having a good time, what are some of the ways in which you have evolved the micro-amusement park since it opened in September? 
Well, let's see. You might think that September until now is a, is a very short time, but that's an eternity, especially for a company that loves to tinker and change things as much as we do. Our shop is actually located on the same premises as our amusement park. And so there are, there's constant new development. We're constantly shifting games around, improving our game, creating new games. I'm really excited because there's a new story room in development upstairs right here. We've added new VR experiences. We've added a ton of new arcade games. And, you know, no plan survives engagement with the enemy. It's as true in micro amusement parks as it is in battle. And there's just been innumerable changes in this park since we opened. If no plan survives engagement with the enemy, what's been a change or a challenge that you've had to deal with since it opened? You know, we're constantly trying to fill out our, our calendar, as it were, you know, Come to this place on a Friday or Saturday night, and it is packed to the gills. It's the most amazing sight. People having a good time, running around, eating, drinking. And we've been coming up with all sorts of interesting activities to attract people on a Tuesday, for example. And it's really fun to understand the different demographics that are interested in visiting a place like Tubit Circus on a Tuesday evening or a, a Sunday afternoon and, and developing content that will attract them and keep them engaged here. Club Zero One shows, new and interesting programs to, you know, to get people playing a variety of games, things like that. I understand that you wrote the software for Club Zero One. What was the most fun to develop that people are going to really enjoy playing on, let's say, a Tuesday afternoon or a Tuesday evening? Club Zero One really is one of my favorite parts of Two-Bit Circuit. It's our interactive theater. It's a 98-seat theater, and there are touchscreens at every single table. And you'll never see another, you'll never participate in another show, anything like what we've got. You've got a host up on stage, you know, maybe running trivia, maybe running an interactive wine tasting. And the difference between a passive show and an active show, like what we have in Club Zero One, is everyone in the audience gets to play along. You know, you pick up a glass of wine, you sip it, and the host asks, what flavors do you taste? And everybody in the room gets to supply their answer and... That outcome is, is visualized up on the stage. There's humor, there's interactivity, and developing the platform to enable what I see as a completely new form of out-of-home entertainment. It was so much fun. This was a blast when I got to go for your preview. I'd love to know a little bit more about the new escape room, if you can tell me. I'm not ready to talk about that yet, sorry. Okay, let's talk instead about some of the new games that we might see. I got hooked on Wiffle Waffle. Is that still there? You got hooked on Wiffle Waffle. I did. Awesome. I love Wiffle Waffle. Wiffle Waffle is, you know, it's on a game cabinet that you won't see anywhere else. We've really tried to pack our arcade with some brand new experiences. You know, arcades are kind of a funny business, arcade machines. They're just computers in boxes. So many of them look identical to one another. Go into any arcade and you'll see a bunch of sort of almost featureless boxes. Each one has a different sticker on it, but whatever. With that cabinet, we really tried to, to twist things up a little bit. It's such a long cabinet. It started off as a, we took our inspiration from skee-ball and decided to make it digital. And once we had developed the sort of the mechanical enclosure for that and figured out how to drive all those pixels, we realized that we had a platform that was perfect for developing a whole new class of games. And so Wiffle Waffle is one of the first of that class. And what's new since? What's something that's going to tempt the daylights out of other people that come, let's say, since February of this year? Well, I'll tell you, I'm really excited about some of our new metagame stuff. So 
looking beyond the individual games, the VR, the arcade, the midway, all of that stuff. You know, we've tried to, to make this place feel endless. We've tried to create mysteries and puzzles and scavenger hunts that will keep you moving around the space and engaging with your friends and engaging with others. And that's manifest in our metagames. So you can buy a scavenger hunt that could take you five minutes or it could take you an entire day. And these metagames are digital. Some of them are digital. Some of them are done on paper. But we really hope to extend people's experience here by giving them the opportunity to engage with the space, not just with the games. I understand you have Easter eggs, too. So the Easter eggs in this park are all part of the metagame. If someone wants to find Easter eggs, the best way to do that is to start a metagame adventure. Aha. We did one when we came. I'm still trying to figure it out. I probably have to come back. What's really kind of a fun fact about you is that you are both an engineer and a circus performer. What has most helped you about your circus background in teaching visitors about the intersection of art and science? I think a key part of our success at Tubit Circus is it's not high-tech, it's theatrics. This place is a theatrical place. You can take a boring game and you can turn it into a masterpiece if you can nail the theater around making it fun. And so I think coming from a circus performance background and a general performance background and sort of applying that stagecraft to fun and, and interactive entertainment has enabled us to create some really special experiences. Let's do an experiment on that right now, if you don't mind that. Some people find word games fun. Others go, oh, boring. If we were going to, just off the top of our heads, do something to make it not boring, what would we do? How could we jazz that up in steam? Oh, gosh. If we're going to make word games not boring, you've, you've hit upon a subject that I absolutely love. I have long thought of a way to make an entire show in Club Zero One just about word games, because I absolutely love word games. And... You know, word games are a really interesting thing. Usually there's one person asking the word game and there's another person giving the answer. But, you know, you can spread that across an entire room with 100 people. Get a bunch of people playing word games together. Everyone supplies a different answer. All their answers appear on the main screen together. People can see what other people answered. It turns it into a comedic moment. And um, I think that's one great way of, of making word games fun for a large group of people. Sounds like a blast. It's just a dream right now, but as soon as we have that thing running, I promise you'll get the advice. What would be some of the resources that you really like to recommend as you invent things here to your fellow creatives? One thing that we tried to make clear with our Steam Carnival is that the tools and the raw materials that we use to create these games, there's nothing inherently special about them. All of this stuff is available to amateurs, it's all available to high school students, it's all available to middle school students for that matter. And if you want to start making something, if you want to create a crazy game or you want to, I don't know, solve an energy crisis, go online. Go buy the tools, go buy the electronics, go buy the, the materials you need and start playing with it. We're living in a very special time where not only is this stuff widely available, but there's huge communities of excited people who want to share their knowledge about how to make stuff. And, you know, just immerse yourself in that world, and you'll be off to the races. Any favorite communities you'd like to suggest to our audience of, let's say, teachers? Well, I think our 2-Bit Circuits Foundation has a ton of resources to help teachers inspire and instruct their students on how to make stuff. You'll find nonprofit 2-Bit Circus Foundation's online resources at 2
check out their library of Steam projects, which include cool stuff like a balloon car, mousetrap car, and an electric house project. Once again, that's 2bitcircus.org. What's been one of the best experiences you've had as a dad, as a creator, and as a teacher with all the kids that come by with the micro-amusement park? You know, just recently we've had groups of students come through the park during the day, and the foundation has developed a great program where they sort of come in here and they, they get to play some of the games, and they hear interviews with some of the creators of those games, and they go into Club Zero One, and they get asked trivia questions about some of the stuff that they've learned. And, you know, just by accident, I kind of wandered into one of those rooms. It was a group of kids who were, you know, talking about the games. And I realized, oh, my, this is my middle school. My middle school was here. And I got to stand up in front of a a group of kids who went to the same middle school I went to. And they were so excited to meet me. And honestly, I was so excited to meet them. It was a really gratifying experience just to see them so excited about the stuff that we've made. You know, they got to come to an amusement park. They got to see a behind-the-scenes tour. They got to meet the creators, interact, see behind the scenes. It was, it was just awesome. You're giving me chills here. That's exciting. <laughs> What's been one of the best challenges that has enabled you to learn since you opened the micro-amusement park? I would say that probably the, the most learning we're doing now since we've opened is based on the data that we collect from having thousands and thousands of people stream through here every week. You know, it's, it's one thing to design a game in a vacuum. It's another to, to really look back at the data and see how people are interacting with your creation. A quantitative analysis of a game's performance can really tell you a lot more than a qualitative observation ever will. So I've been very excited to be able to see numbers. I love numbers. We've got lots of numbers. When you look at the numbers, what did they really love and what did you have to change? Well, you know, one of the things that we can do through our data capture is just to see where people get stuck in games just to understand what gives people problems. And sometimes the tiniest tweak to a game can really drastically improve people's experience. If you discover that a large fraction of your your players are never completing or walking away from a game after, you know, a short engagement with it, well, shoot, you should change that game and figure out where that place is and make it easier, give some instruction, skip it, I don't know. As you make the tweaks and do the changes and come up on, I believe, seven months and counting, what's next? What's next? Well, you know, we're excited about future two-bit circuses. That's coming down the pipe. Nothing firm to announce on that, but, you know, that's certainly in the cards. I personally am excited about all the new experiences that we're developing now, from story rooms to Club Zero One shows to new games. You know, we've brought in a ton of new experiences from our third-party partners and vendors And there's more of that to come. You know, now that we have an open amusement park and it's become totally clear that this is a place where people go to play with the future of fun, we have people contacting us saying, will you please put our game in your amusement park? And, uh, you know, being able to do that really gives us great pleasure. What if we've got a maker listening to you saying, oh, please put my game in your amusement park? Where do they contact you? Well, let me tell you, we run something called Beta Night here. And Beta Night is probably my favorite night of the month. And that's when we we have both very highly professional and totally amateur inventors showing off their new games. You know, sometimes before we commit to putting something in the park, we want to see how people play it, you know? And so we'll invite those creators here to 2-Bit Circus to, to set up their stuff during the day. 
This place is open to the public at night. People stream in. They play all the games. And some of those games, you know, made by rank amateurs are incredible, you know? That's one of the outcomes of having tools and materials readily available to everyone. Anybody can program a game. And, you know, sometimes a high school student creates something that's just just unbelievable. And at the time of our interview in April, a beta night was coming up pretty quickly. Our next beta night is the 9th, April 9th, this Tuesday. So if anybody wants to come down, it's free to enter. And anyone hearing anything in the future after the 9th of April, is this a monthly thing? This is a monthly thing. So if you miss this one, we will have another one. I, I don't know what the date of future ones are yet, but they'll always be posted on our website, 2bitcircus.com. 2bitcircus.com. What if somebody listening is saying, why isn't there one in my neighborhood? Any plans for more micro-amusement parks immediately? There are plans for more micro-amusement parks. I can't promise that it will be in your neighborhood. We're always going to disappoint 99.9% of people on that score, but we're doing everything we can to bring 2-Bit Circus to the places that just need fun. I'll be excited to hear about any future Kickstarter programs or anything we can promote for you. Well, I appreciate that. As we wrap up, Eric, if you could only have your son and anybody that walks into the micro-amusement park learn from you one thing about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what do you want them to take away from your work? Gosh, I think the, the, the biggest takeaway on that score would be that making stuff is fun. It should always be fun. And, you know, I don't play a lot of games. I make games. And to me, that process is even more fun than playing. Eric, thank you for your time today. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Dot. Nice talking with you. You and I have been listening to Eric Gradman, co-founder and CTO of 2-Bit Circus. You can find out more about 2-Bit Circus's micro-amusement park, including their upcoming Club Zero One shows and special events, at 2bitcircus.com. That's 2bitcircus.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at 2mavericks.com. That's 2, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, 2mavericks.com. And you can contact us at 2mavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.